Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. I'm going to talk to you tonight about a a guy in the Bible that you've probably heard about a lot. um, That, you know, is a great character in the Bible. This guy right up here, Isaac. A wise master builder, okay? If you live in my world with kids, you probably know a connection to this. Uh, Anybody in here seen the Lego movie? Hold your hand up really, really high. I'm taking a picture right now so that I can put your name on the nursery list. Hold them up. Hold them up, okay? Now... Um, the Lego movie, when I was just thinking about this and putting this all together and Isaac and some things we're going to look at tonight, some things he built, it made me think of the Lego movie. Um, I almost brought a big box of Legos in here for some of you that have attention span issues. Nobody does that, right? That you could set and make something out of Legos while we're talking tonight. But we're going to talk about Isaac and how he was a master builder of some things that built, um, really some devotion to God into his life, all right? So we're going to look at Isaac. You know, Isaac was the son of a famous man. Who was his dad? Abraham, all right? Y'all are on the same page with me tonight. And he was also a famous father of who else? Jacob, all right? So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, here's the thing about Isaac that's a little bit different. When we look in this line of who they were, Abraham was a very central character in Genesis. There's over 13 chapters devoted to Abraham with him being the main character in those chapters. And so when we look at this and we look at Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, he was a pretty big character in the Old Testament as well. He had over 10 chapters devoted to him as the main character. But when you look at Isaac and you compare that 13 chapters for Abraham, 10 chapters for Jacob... Isaac is really only the chief character in two of those chapters in Genesis. So when you think about this lineage, we always hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we kind of could think that maybe Isaac's role is a little bit smaller, but it's really not. He had a really uh, important part to play in God's perfect plan. So his life was really not insignificant. When we think about it, he was the child that Abraham had waited for a hundred years for. He was the child of promise. He was a miracle baby. He was conceived after Sarah was old and should not have conceived a child. So he was the child of promise. Um, He was the one that carried on the line and the purposes of God. And on his deathbed, Isaac even set apart the future of Israel. When the birthright was exchanged and that whole story Isaac was a key player in that. And so even down to the present day, the Jews, they speak and they talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's even listed. Isaac is listed. Now this guy that was only in two chapters of the Old Testament is listed among the champions of faith in Hebrews 11. So when you look at his life, he really wasn't insignificant. He was a child of promise that Abraham had endured for in faith. And Isaac lived out a life of faith in the footsteps of his father, and trusting God. And he really carved out for himself a place in history 
that we can look at his life and find some insight to some of the things that he did that we can apply into our own life. And that's what we want to do tonight. We're going to look at three things that um, he built, since we had the master builder up there in Legos, okay, and you can entertain me. There you go, again. Does anybody know this character's name? Emmett, see, you've seen the movie probably multiple times. This is Emmett right here in the movie, the Lego movie. If you need to borrow it, I have it, okay? But uh, it's a fun movie. There's a lot of fun things in that. So, um, But he had some things that he built in his life that we're going to look at tonight as pictures or as reflections to some things that we can apply in our life. Don't you love the Bible that when you read it and there's all these pictures and there's this imagery that God not only speaks to you in just the words... And the literal meaning of it too. But he can take something as simple as a word picture and it'll jump off the page and make something applicable to your life right there. And so we're going to read the literal part tonight, but we're also going to look at figuratively what some of these things mean, okay? So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 26 tonight. Genesis 26, verse 1. It says, A severe famine now struck the land, and as it had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. And the Lord appeared to Isaac. Now, don't you think that'd change your life? If the Lord appeared to us right there in the middle of our everyday life, it'd change our life. It'd kind of alter our destiny. And so here he is. The Lord appeared to Isaac in the middle of this land and said, Don't go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live right here as a foreigner in this land. Does anybody ever feel like a foreigner where you're at in your job? When you feel like you're the only one who has any part of God in your day? Anybody ever feel that way? My wife at times, uh, we talk about this sometimes. She's worked in certain jobs before. Uh, when we lived out in Tulsa and, and uh, she worked at an eye doctor's office. And there was just this one girl that just had conflict with her. You know, she got along with everybody else in the place, but there was this one girl And so we kind of figured out what it was. There was sin in her life, and she knew God, but she was walking apart from God, and she was going in a different direction, and it just caused a rub. And, you know, you think about, why does that person not like me at work? It might be the God down on the inside of you that's causing a little conviction down on the inside of them. And you might feel like a foreigner, but God has set you there in that place. Amen. So he said, don't go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you, live here as a foreigner in this land and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky. Now, doesn't this sound like the exact same thing he told Abraham? It is because he's part of that trickle down effect here. He said, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. Moms and dads, isn't that important that we follow God now? Because what happened as Abraham obeyed God, God blessed his son. And so that's our role as parents. If we obey all the requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions, God says, I will do this. What? Bless you. Bless your children. So Isaac listened to God and stayed right there in Gerar. Now let's jump on down to verse 12. Here's the real story that's going on that's kind of the conflict in the story. 
that we're going to get to. Verse 12, when Isaac planted his crops that year in Gerar, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he had planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. And he acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous. They became envious. You know, when the blessing of God comes upon you and people start seeing that in your life, they're going to take notice. And that's what happened here. The Philistines took notice, but they were jealous of him. So verse 15, the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. Verse 16, finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Why? He'd become so prosperous there. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. Verse 17, so Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. Verse 19, Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But then, here comes somebody else to have conflict with him. But then the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said. And they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Essek, which meant argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but then again, there was another dispute. So Isaac named this well Sitna, which means hostility. So he's got one named argument, one named hostility. This is not a real welcoming land so far. This doesn't look like the blessed place that God said he would provide for him, amen? So abandoning that well, Isaac moved on and dug another well. And this time, there was no dispute over it. So Isaac named the place Rehoboth which means open space or spacious place. For he said, at last, the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. Now look at verse 23. From there, Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. So he gets into this land and all of a sudden God shows up. I'm the God of your father, Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid. For I am with you and I will bless you and I will multiply your descendants and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac, now this is key. This is where we're at tonight. We're just going to sit right here in this verse for a while tonight. Then Isaac built an altar. Everybody say altar. He built an altar there and he worshiped the Lord. He set up his tent. Everybody say tent. At that place and his servants dug another well. Everybody say well. We're going to look at these three things. We're going to look at an altar, we're going to look at a tent, and we're going to look at a well tonight. We're going to find out what those things are to us and how we can apply some truth about what those things were used for and how people relied upon those things in our relationship with the Lord, okay? When we think about Isaac, Isaac had fellowship with God. He knew God. He knew when God spoke, he heard his voice. He had that fellowship, that relationship with him. And Isaac was a man who really desired to please God. If he didn't desire to please God, he wouldn't have followed when God said, go here, stay here, move on. If you're in a hostile land and God's told you to be there and you tough it out, you're following God, amen? Because it's not easy. It's a whole lot easier a lot of times to pack up your bags and head on. 
But sometimes we're in the middle of a hostile place because God has a plan for our life. Amen? So Isaac built these three structures, which are pictures. We're going to take these as pictures tonight. And they're symbolic of some spiritual things, some spiritual needs or some spiritual practices that we can put into our life. Some things that we can develop uh, as people who desire to live a, a life of faith. Amen? It takes faith to live this life. We can't do it apart from faith. We can't do it apart from our belief in God. And so these are the things that we want to mirror tonight. Now, look at this verse again, Genesis 26, 25. So Isaac built what? An altar there. He called upon the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent. Everybody say tent. Y'all are with me. All right. And there Isaac's servants did what? They dug a well. So let's look at the first one here where Isaac built an altar says he built an altar there. He called on the name of the Lord. Now, let's think about this, what's going on. It wasn't an easy time for Isaac. It's never easy moving, is it? It's never easy packing up all your stuff. You know, we moved this last year. It's been good, but it's been rough at the same time. You know, we, we were pretty comfortable where we were back in Cookville with all of our family. Anybody that we needed to come watch our kids, we had several options to go take them over there, not dump them off, but take them over there, right? Uh, and, you know, we don't have that now. We have to really strategically plan. Uh, if we've got to be gone, we've either got to make plans to go back to Cookville and drop them off there or, or hire a babysitter, usually here. And so, you know, it's just not as easy. And uh, our girls have adjusted pretty good, but there have been those moments this year that we've had tears, you know, because they miss friends. And um, it's real funny the other day, somebody before we left, we had a little going away party with some of the girls, their friends at their school, and they gave us a treat. Um, for a going away present, this family, the real sweet, they said, take this tree and plant it at your new house when you get to Murfreesboro. And so I, you know, I was pretty dumb about it. I set it right up against the house uh, where we were living at, and uh, I kept watering it every day, but it was the hot time, and so the reflection off the house just burned the leaves off this tree. And so we packed that tree up anyway. We stuck it in the moving van. We unloaded it. We plant. I don't even know how long. It probably sat for a while. Um, at our house before I planted it, but I did plant it, okay? And I watered it some, um, not a whole lot, but I watered it some. And, uh, you know, all through the fall and the leaves were coming off and it's a pin oak tree. It had some leaves still left. I didn't lose all the leaves, but it's a pin oak tree. And if you know anything about pin oak, they keep their leaves for a long time. And so I was really excited, man. Those leaves were still on there, but uh, over the winter they disappeared. And so springtime comes and all these trees are budding out, and I barely see anything on this tree, so I thought, man, I've killed this tree, you know. But the other day, good story, it is blooming out, or it's budding out, leaves are unfolding on it, and Sarah said, if this tree can make it, we can make it here, you know, and we can. So, you know, there's some adversity in our life, but we've enjoyed coming, and and uh, I don't know how I got off on that. I'm going to get back on track. Uh, so the first thing we see here is not a tree, but Isaac built an altar, all right? Oh, I know. It's a great, difficult time in Isaac's life. That's what I was talking about, okay? God had greatly blessed him in the land of the Philistines. You can edit that part out in case Pastor Eddie listens to that, okay? <laughs> all right. So it says here in verse 13, it says, Isaac began to prosper again and continued prospering until he became very, very prosperous for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants and the Philistines envied him. Okay. 
So even in the middle of a difficult time, God was causing him to prosper. They envied him so much, they filled up all his wells, and their king, Abimelech, said, get out of here. You've got too much. You're becoming a threat to us. You're becoming too prosperous. We don't want you here. And so he said, go away from us. You're mightier than we are. So he began moving then and going from place to place. And everywhere he went, he encountered another opposition. These people wanted the water. So there was hostility. These people wanted the water. There was argument. He named those places. Until he finally came to Beersheba. You know, and here's probably what Isaac's thinking. God, you showed up to me in this last place and you told me what you're going to do for me. And then I began to experience difficulty and hostility and arguments. But you spoke it to me, God. Now what am I missing? And we're probably a lot like Isaac. We start doubting what God has said. We start wondering, God, is your plan ever going to come to pass? How can you make something good, God, if I don't have a well to draw from? If my neighbor is coming against me, God, how can I prosper in what you've put me in? And that's just natural. And don't you think Isaac began thinking about that? Can you really imagine? I'm sure he got down pretty low. Maybe he even got a little anxious um, and how he was feeling at this point. But you know what? God had told him to dwell there. God had told him, even in the midst of that opposition, to dwell there, to remain there. And so he might have arrived that night in Beersheba and God appeared to him and this overwhelming feeling of, yes, God, that's it. I remember what you said before, and here you are again telling me again, reminding me, thank you, God. Isn't that like the Holy Spirit? I mean, the Holy Spirit's role is to remind us, to show us things to come, to bring truth back up down on the inside of us. So here, God's appearing himself, but we have the Holy Spirit today that can do the same thing in our life. So he arrived that night. God spoke to him these wonderful words. It was a great assurance to him. It was a great promise to him. Probably gave him the strength to keep going. And he reminded Isaac of the covenant. Now, covenant is a strong, strong bond. And this was a covenant that God had made with his father Abraham. And remember, it said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I will be with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So here's God showing up on the scene again. And what is Isaac's response to this? Isaac's response to this revelation that came to him again. He thought, you know what? I'm going to do something significant this time. I'm going to build an altar. He built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord. This is the first thing he built when he got there. Notice he didn't set up his house first. He set up an altar. Now an altar, when we look at this tonight and apply this to our life, this picture of an altar, what do we typically do at an altar? I don't know if you grew up with an altar in your church, um, but I grew up with an old wooden altar. At, at the front of our church. And I remember coming to that altar quite a bit. All right. I got saved a lot as a kid. Um, cause I grew up in church of God and we had an altar up front and buddy, every Sunday night, that was a good service. That's where you got saved again on Sunday night, you know? And I remember my grandma coming into my ear and just praying with me. Um, oh, man, I'm just glad I had it, you know? And what did I do at that altar? I'm dedicated myself. So an altar here is really a reflection. It's a picture of dedication. And you know, Isaac, he really knew about altars. Okay. He had an encounter with an altar that probably is not one that we would want to be a part of. 
But the Lord tested Abraham's dedication to him at an altar with Isaac. You remember when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac on that altar? Can you imagine the flashbacks that Isaac would have from time to time, you know, even though it turned out good for him. But can you imagine the fear? You know, even though you trust God, don't you sometimes have fear too? Well, Isaac is a little boy trusting the words of his father and trusting a God who he can't see almost became the sacrifice. Almost became the point of dedication that Abraham made to the Lord. And so when you think about it, remember Isaac there, the Lord was testing Abraham And the answer the Lord received in this test was a huge yes from Abraham. Will you be obedient to me? Yes. That demonstration of placing his son on the altar was the big yes that God was looking for. And so Abraham's heart was dedicated to God even more so than his ties to an earthly child. The child of promise. So when we look at an altar, it's all about dedication. You know, probably nobody knows the costs of this dedication more than Isaac. You know, Isaac probably can still remember how hard those stones or how sharp those stones felt on his back as he was placed on that altar. He probably remembers those stones were cold that day as he was laid upon that altar. And so Isaac knows what sacrifice, he knows what an altar is. It's the place, this is what altars represent in our life. Altars represent the occasion and the place where we have a personal encounter with God. Can you think back in your life of those times that you've had those just huge points in your life, in your walk with God that marked your life, that changed your life, that changed the course of who, where you were going, or it changed your revelation about who God was and who God is to you? You know, we had, I, I um, was a part of Chi Alpha back at Trinity, um, before Chi Alpha was even Chi Alpha. We didn't know it was Chi Alpha. We just had a college group, and they called them kingdom, kingdom Seekers. And I came into that group, and man, I want to tell you, that time period marked my life. It ruined me for just average Christianity. You know, I go through my life now, and I hate the averageness of Christianity sometimes. And I'm caught right in the middle of it. I'm so guilty of just going about my church routine. I gotta get here, gotta do these things, I gotta make sure these classrooms are open, make sure all this stuff is in here, and I forget to invite God into the room. Am I the only one that does that? You know, I'm ruined for that because I know what the presence of God is like in a very tangible way. To watch college kids lay hands on each other and see miracles happen and prophesy over each other and have tongues and interpretations come from college kids? I know what that's like. And so I desire that because that's my encounter with the Lord. And that's a place that really is an altar in my life that I see. That was my dedication. That was my devotion. And I'm always trying to get back to it. There's a hunger for it. So altars are those places where the best sacrifices were made in worship and dedication to God. Remember that in the Old Testament? They didn't just bring any old sacrifice. It had to be a certain thing. It had to be the best. It had to be the one without blemish. It had to be the one that was the firstborn a lot of times. Okay? So altars were the places where the best sacrifices were made. And we look on over into the New Testament. We're even instructed about what to do 
with a sacrifice in our own life. Romans 12, 1, reaching over into the New Testament, says, Paul encourages believers. He said, I beseech you. Now, he's not just saying, I recommend to you. I suggest to you. No, he says, I beseech you. I beg you. I plead with you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? You present your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. It's not just your time. It's not just your talent. It's not just your treasure, your money that you present to God. No, God says, I desire you as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, why is it reasonable? Jesus didn't just come and pay for our salvation with coins or change or good deeds. He paid for our salvation with His whole life. So why do we not give ours in return? That's why he says, I beseech you, brethren, I beg of you, I plead with you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice upon God's altar, upon the place that you encounter God. You know, our lives are supposed to be devoted to God. And when we do that and we give our life to Him, we give our time, our talent, our treasure, our kids, our ambitions, our frailties, our weaknesses, our strengths even, It's a living sacrifice that He can use. And you think, why did I go through this mess in my life? Why did I go through this problem? Why did I go through this hardship? So that you could maybe encounter somebody else who's walking through the same thing and you have the words of life that can help walk them out of that situation because you've been there before. That's why you're a living sacrifice. So some things to think about tonight, some things to ponder And I want you just to kind of ask yourself, you know, what is God asking you to place upon an altar right now? What is it it in your life that you know is hindering you from moving on to that next place that God has for you? You might think it's a well that somebody else has already capped off and it's keeping you from receiving God's best. Move on. Isaac moved on. He moved on. He didn't stay there and have a pity party at the place where there was an argument and there was a hostility. He moved on and God met him where he was. And that might be what it is for you tonight. What is it that you can place upon that altar? What is it that you can dedicate in your life to present your body as a living sacrifice? Have you offered yourself, here's the second one, as a sacrifice to God lately? I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I don't want to talk to her again about the Lord. She's heard me three or four times. She hears me all the time. She's even begun mocking me. I don't need to talk to her again. It might be a sacrifice to do that again. It might just be that time where her heart is open and responsive and yielded again. And it might be a sacrifice The next one, have you reaffirmed your dedication to the Lord recently? You know, what is it in your life that you could do that just reaffirms to God, God, I'm yours. I am yours. I am a living sacrifice to you. What is it? What can you do to reconnect 
back to God again. You know, God's just waiting for us. God is not always going to lead us in every place we need to be in. There's a pursuit thing that we have to have in this Christian faith. We can't just rely on God to pull us along because he's not going to do that always. He might do that when we're new babes in the faith. But as we grow and as we develop, there's a pursuit that has to happen. That if we want to get to that next place in God, we've got to put some effort into it. We've got to make some earnest effort into going to the next place with God. And it might require some sacrifice. It might require some new dedication. And it needs to be done in our lives because remember the call in Romans 12.1 is to present your body as living sacrifices. So that altar, when we look at it, Isaac, the master builder, he built this altar. It speaks of dedication. It's a reflection of dedication in our life. It's the place where we've encountered God and we're devoted and we remember where we were at and that's our heart's passion. That when things feel dry and barren and wasted, we can put ourselves back in and say, but I remember what you did for me in that place. So the second thing he built here. Verse 25, he built an altar, but the second thing is he put up a tent there in that place. Now think about this. Isaac heard the voice of the Lord in Beersheba. He'd met with God, so he put his tent there. He decided in the middle of this place to put his tent, his dwelling, in the middle of this place. Now certainly as rich and as prosperous as Isaac was, Why didn't he go to the place where people were so that his resources could be bought and sold? That he could go and have this interchange of trade between people. But in the middle of this place, he was run out of here, he was run out of there. Now he's over in this place. He puts his tent up in this place. You know, when you think about this, this is where God encountered him at. He didn't go on down the road. He didn't go on over the next mountain But right there where God encountered him, he set up his dwelling right there at that place. And, you know, when we think about this, we need to stay close to the presence. That's what Isaac did. He stayed because he knew that's where God encountered him last. And so he stayed there close to the presence and the direction of God because God spoke those words to him to stay. I'm going to make you prosperous right here. He could have gone on and found another place, but he stayed there. And so when we think about it, if God is speaking, isn't that the place you want to be at? I'm excited that Pastor Eddie is coming back this Sunday. All right? I'm not going to miss it. I've already made preparations, okay? Don't any of my nursery workers bail out this Sunday, okay? Because I will not be in your spot, okay? I'm going to be in here because I want to hear what God has imparted to Pastor Eddie. You know, every time we meet, I know you can't be here every time, but it should be our desire. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because that's where God speaks to you. Don't forsake reading his word because that's where God speaks to you. In those still, small times, that quiet voice, get where God will speak. Sometimes you got to go out and go away. Today I did that. I've not been on the greenway except just a little park over off of um, by your house. I don't even know what that area is over there. We went to a playground one day. That was my greenway experience until today. I just needed to go. And I went and I prayed on the greenway today. You know, sometimes we just got to get away. 
we got to separate ourselves. And that's what this tent really speaks of. Isaac separated himself away from everything, set up his tent there. You know, he put his tent there. He didn't build a house. He's probably wealthy enough. He could have had somebody come in and, and build a more permanent structure, even though they lived in tents and large uh, dwellings and gatherings of tents during that time. He could have probably had somebody set up a more permanent place for him, but he didn't. So this tent speaks of separation from the things of the world. He didn't associate with the Philistines and go back and keep going back and coming back here. He didn't go back and come back over here. He stayed in the place where God said he separated himself to the place where he knew God met him. So we can't be so focused on the pleasures and the things that this world has to offer that we become so tied up with stuff. He set up his own tent. He didn't go and dwell in somebody else's. But a lot of times today, we're dwelling in tents that God didn't even tell us to go be a part of. Amen? We get ourselves over in some things because of, oh, it looks good, or my neighbor's doing that, maybe I need to do that too. And God doesn't even have us to be a part of that. That's not what we need to be a part of. He put up his own tent in that place, and he separated himself to the Lord. You know, as Christians, we've heard this, we've sang songs about this, you know, there are songs about passing through. Um, I remember a song, can't sing it all, can't remember it all, but I remember some song that we sang out of that Redback hymnal in the Church of God about passing through uh, this land. But we're passing through this world. We are. We're passing through. This is not our permanent dwelling. And we can't get our focus so much here on this temporal world that we forget that we have an eternity to look forward to. That our time here and our preparation here has to be focused eternally. Our why right now needs to have an eternal focus. And so we can't become so consumed with that that we forget that we're passing through. We have to remain separated. We have to remain detached from the things of this world. You know, we cannot get so... I'll I'll meddle right here. We cannot get so caught up in politics and social things and the bathroom issues at Target and this and that that we forget to show the love of Christ. And it's very easy to do. Amen? Because isn't that what Satan wants to do to your life? Anybody ever in here, in here ever read the screw tape letters? The screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, is a, it's kind of an allegory about um, some demons who are assigned to a new convert. And the whole goal of these demons is not to shipwreck his life with lying, drinking, alcohol, um, gossip, anything like that, that are the big sins that we say. The whole goal of these demons is to keep this man distracted from God. And that's the point of shipwrecking his life as a new convert. Keep him distracted. We cannot be distracted. We have to keep our focus upon the Lord and what he has called us to do. We cannot become attached to the things of this world. You know, no matter how hard you try, you can't retain the things of life. We've said this, you've heard this, you're not going to take them with you in your casket when you go. No hearse is going to be loaded up with three U-Hauls behind it following you to your cemetery. You know you know all that. We can't take these things with us when we go, but why do we try to hoard them up so much? Why do we try to amass them so much? And I'm chief. I'm chief. I'll just say it. I'm chief. Don't you like things? Don't you like stuff? I mean, that's just what we're driven to do, okay? They're, they're passing away, though. Moths are eating them. Time and rust are corroding them. There's no future in earthly stuff. In fact, 
This is what Jesus said, and this is a scripture that has, this got deposited down onto me in that group that before it was Chi Alpha, it was called Kingdom Seekers, and this was the chief verse that we said over and over and over. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Can you seek first the kingdom of God being so attached to the world? No, you've got to be separated from the world. You've got to be separate. You've got to be detached from the world in order to seek the things of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 1 John 2.15 says this, talking about not loving the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Does anybody else struggle with that? I love dessert. There's going to be dessert in heaven, tables and tables. So that's not a worldly thing, right? It's not a worldly thing. Anybody else love dessert as much as I do? Man, I'm telling you what, we were in Gatlinburg this last weekend. We ate dinner somewhere, Knoxville. Then we got into Gatlinburg late, late, late. We pulled into Longhorn Steakhouse. Have you ever had their chocolate stampede? Go get some tonight on your way home. I'm giving you permission, okay? It's great. Uh, it's great. I mean, it will set you free. Some chocolate stampede, okay? So there's going to be, you know, don't love the world. Lord, help me. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Verse 17, the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. He who does the will of God who follows after him in the difficult times, in the hard times, in the times that you doubt and you think, God, this can't be you, but maybe and I'll go, I'll go anyway. He who does the will of God abides forever. He abides forever with him. So an altar speaks of dedication. The tent that Isaac set up speaks of separation. Here's the third thing. Isaac dug a well. Well, actually, he had some servants that did it for him, but we can, you know, that was Isaac's idea, right? Okay. He dug a well and his servants dug a well there. They acted on his behalf. You know what a well speaks of? A well speaks of dependence. If we were in that dry and barren culture, there's not a lot of water running freely that they lived in. So they had to dig. They had to earnestly make effort to find water. Why? Because it's their life source. It's the life source for them. It's the life source for all their um, livestock, for their family, for their herds. That well that they dug was the place of dependence. There probably wasn't a day that went by that they didn't visit that well in some form. Whether they drank water from that well that day or they went to draw out of it their own in their own time. So a well speaks of dependence. He had to have water. He had to have lots of it. And Isaac dug wells everywhere he went, remember? He even relied on the wells that his father dug for him. How many of you have had some mamas and daddies and grandmas and grandpas who've dug wells spiritually that you're still able to draw off of today? Man, I am. They sang that song tonight, How Great Thou Art. I didn't sing that in the Church of God. I don't know why that wasn't in our hymnal. But when I went to the Nazarene with my other grandma, they, all, they sang that almost every time I was there. All right, Anybody else grow up singing How Great Thou Art? 
So tonight, when he, I heard them, and I told Pastor Wayne, I said, you're going to mess me up tonight, because that song usually tears me up thinking about my grandparents. And, you know, I've had a great history in my family that I still get to draw upon. Man, I was with your family at Life Group, Transky family, uh, the Fishers. If you don't know them, get to know them. They're new here, Kathy's uh, parents and her brother. And just this last week, man, I heard them pray. There's a heritage and there's a lineage there of seeking God. And it blessed me because it brought me back to when I remember hearing my grandmother pray. And I remember hearing her plead with heaven for me. And my mom had six brothers and there were a ton of us grandkids and we all went to the same church. So everybody got saved every Sunday night, you know, when that service happened at my church. And my grandma used to watch her go to each one of us if we were at the altar and pray with us. And, you know, Isaac drew off of what his father had done. But for Isaac, now it's a matter of living or dying in this land. It's a matter of digging or dying. And he had to dig a well. So this water was the sustaining force of life for Isaac. In our life, what is that sustaining source? It's the Word of God. It's His presence. Can you think of those times that you've just been reading the Word and all of a sudden, something new just down on the inside of you when you read it? And you think, how is this word here that's been on this page that I've read four or five times all of a sudden today come alive? Because God's word is living. It's not just static. It's not just going to remain the same. And it has to be our source of life. It has to be something that charges us. You know, and that's the biggest battle that we face. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves in here, we don't struggle with lying. We don't struggle with gossip near as much as we struggle with not reading God's Word. Amen? Why? Because Satan doesn't want you to have that life source. He doesn't want that Word of God to be put down on the inside of you, so he's going to distract you. He's going to come and fill up your well with busy things so that you can't draw off of what God has for you. And so that's our dependence. When we think about that, the same is true concerning God's Word in our life. Just like water is a sustaining life force, the Word of God has to be our source. If we don't have it, if we don't draw upon the Word continually... You know, and let me just say this. I had to get to a point in my life that I had to be okay with getting the Word in different forms. Okay, I grew up very traditional that the Word is what you read. You know, you didn't get Word unless you read it. But I'm going to tell you, there are so many modes today that we can get the Word while we're doing all kinds of other things. There's audio Bibles. It's on our phone. You can listen to podcasts. You can listen to all kinds of things where you're getting teaching in the Word. So don't let Satan do that to you and say, well, you didn't read your Bible today, but you can listen to it in the car. Okay? Don't let him cheat you out of that experience, all right? That may be for me tonight, okay? But it says this. It says in Matthew 4, talking about it, if we would die spiritually, if we don't have it, Matthew 4 says this, verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone or dessert, 
chocolate stampede from Longhorn Steakhouse. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. His word is continually popping off these pages. All right? His word is continually being dropped down on the inside of you. How many have ever been driving down the road and you see something off in the field and God speaks to you? That's his word. There was one time God spoke to me when I was driving down a country road and the grass was flopping in the car. Like when I passed by the car and the wind from my car started making the grass flop back and forth. Whoosh. God spoke to me about that. Okay? Even something as simple as that. It's what I needed at that time. Okay? God continually wants to speak because He wants to sustain you. It says, you will live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This word, the word dropped down on the inside of you, the still small voice, the inward witness, an encouragement from a friend, something you hear in a podcast, that's God's word for you. Don't negate it. Don't let it fall down on hardened ears. Take it. Tune into it. All right? It says this also. Psalm 1-3. The Bible describes a person who reads and meditates and soaks in and takes in the Word of God as this. It describes this person as a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. When you get in the Word of God, you can't help but bear fruit. Okay? You can't help but bear fruit. God's going to do that. And you wonder, where's my fruit in my life? Well, it may be because you're not taking in anything into your life that God can cause growth to come. So a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Why? Because you're taking in the Word. For any believer, for my life, for your life, I'm any believer, are you any believer? Here's the thing, it's dig or die. If we don't dig into the Word of God, we're going to die spiritually. We're going to stay that shallow person that we were. We're going to remain that, that place that we're not going to grow anymore. If we stop in our pursuit, remember I told you there's a pursuit part of this now? Y'all are not the newborn Christians, okay? You're the folks who have persevered some things in life. And there's a pursuit that you still have to do. So it's dig or die. We can't live without the Word of God. We're dependent on it. So this well speaks of dependence. Isaac built the altar. He put up his tent. He dug a well. When we think about these things, are these pictures? The altar is dedication. The tent is being separated and being detached from the things of the world. And the well is our dependency upon God. Are these things that we have in our life as characteristics daily? Are we dedicated? Are we separated from the things of the world? Are we really experiencing a dependence on God that shows Him our love for Him? When you think about it, have you built an altar lately? You know, have you separated yourself? Have you consecrated yourself? Have you given yourself as a living sacrifice lately? Daily renewing your dedication to the Lord? Consecrating your heart to Him alone? I'll tell you, it's real easy to have a divided heart, isn't it? It's real easy. Okay? Have you put your tent up in a place that God wants to encounter you in? 
Have you pulled yourself away from the world enough? Now, we're not called to be completely separated from the world because there's a world we have to interact with. But can we separate long enough that God can meet us in that place right there and detach from that? And have you dug a well lately? Maybe you need to dig a new well just so you put some effort back into your relationship with God, just so your dependence upon Him changes. You know, a lot of times we rely on the well that we used to go to. And that's real easy sometimes. But there's a new well sometimes that we need to be drawing upon. There's a different source of water. This water may be a different temperature. You know, it may come from a different mountain that we can draw upon. And that's where we are in our life. Do we have that dedication to God? Do we have that separation unto Him? You know, we, we used to call that sanctification, right? Remember that? And do we have that dependence upon Him? Amen. Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.